It's been another horrible week of missiles and death and terror and fear in Israel. Four Israelis, 25 Palestinians were killed in the deadliest round of violence between Israel and Gaza since 2014. And the story of missiles and bomb shelters and protests at the border feels painful both because people are terrified, paralyzed with fear and dying in the most violent of ways. And it's also painful because of its repetition like gun violence in schools and images of students being evacuated in single file lines with hands held above their heads, we are devastated that yet again we see these familiar headlines. Air Force says 600 projectiles fired at Israel from Gaza in 24 hours. After four die in Gaza onslaught, some ask if Iron Dome still as effective. Erdogan blasts Israel after building used by Turkish news agency in Gaza bombed. And of course, four Democrat presidential candidates weigh in on Gaza violence. I wonder if the media is also tired. I wonder if they look back at old headlines and consider new ways to describe the same horror, the same intransigence, the same weapons of terror. For many of us, the depth of our exhaustion and disappointment is also due to the mixed response and reaction from the media, from pundits and politicians. 600 missiles fly into Israel in just 24 hours, and reporters want to focus on politics and policy. After latest fighting, Israel's Gaza blockade questioned. Hamas, a noted terrorist organization, takes responsibility for the terrorist attack, and yet Rashida Tlaib, the congresswoman from Michigan, blast the New York Times for their headline, Gaza militants fire 250 rockets, and Israel responds with airstrikes, saying the headline is misleading. The response to 600 missiles is varied, and that variance is painful. Why is there not a united, resounding response declaring this is wrong? Hamas is wrong. We will not tolerate terrorism. How can there be any other conversation except this? But we know that answer. We see more than just the Iron Dome. We see more than destruction in Sterot. We see images of women and children in Gaza fearful for their lives, caught in between terrorists and blockades, the wounded being carried out on stretchers. People are dying on both sides of the border. We see national and international leaders critiquing Israel's occupation of the West Bank and the blockade around Gaza, the high unemployment rate, the stranglehold by Hamas, and the absence of a plan to break the cycle of hatred and hopelessness. We see more, and so our responses hold more, sadness for Israel and for the residents of Gaza who are suffering under the rule of Hamas, empathy for all children, and deep concern for the future, absent of vision or leadership to bring about a two-state solution or a binational agreement. And so we, here on the West Side, we try to find the right words to say. This is wrong, Hamas is to blame, terrorism will not be tolerated. And then we pause and we try to find words that say, and we are heartbroken about the loss of life. Israeli and Palestinian. 
And in that pause, in the calculation of timing and words to express rebuke and empathy, comes the inevitable critique, perhaps best expressed by David Suisa in his article from the Jewish Journal this week, how should we respond to the terror rockets from Gaza? Suisa writes, I understand the Jewish instinct to appear even-handed. It feels less tribal, more complex, more elevated. But when I saw the unrelenting firing of rockets from Gaza, I had only one narrative in mind. It was neither tribal nor elevated, but simply common sense. If terrorists fire rockets to murder people, they deserve no even-handedness. When a neo-Nazi commits mass murder in America, we don't try to be even-handed or nuanced. We are firm and unequivocal in our condemnations. The corrupt Palestinian terrorists who have betrayed their own people while firing rockets at Israeli civilians deserve no less. So how should we react? How should we express our pain and our sadness? Often our conversations about Israel are simply reactions to headlines or provocative op-eds forcing us all to choose sides, to stake our claim, or more often, to opt out completely, the safer route in mixed company. What if instead of using Facebook posts, we allowed Torah to be our guide? This week's Torah portion lays out the rules for living a holy life. It's called the Holiness Code, and it wrestles down one of the hardest questions we face still today. How do we create a holy society made up not of angels, but of people? Flawed, messy, fallible human beings who at best might reach for holiness, but spend most of their lives running the hamster wheel of transgression and apology, messing up and seeking forgiveness. The holiness code in and of itself is bold and beautiful. It calls for just, humane, and sensitive treatment of others. The aged, the handicapped, and the poor are to receive consideration and courtesy. The laborer is to be promptly paid, and the stranger is to be accorded the same love we give our fellow citizens. And we should do it all because it is our pathway to God. It is our manual for transforming the ordinary into the extraordinary. It is how we become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, just as God promised in Exodus. And it has not been relegated to the dusty parchment of the hidden Torah. It is meant for us still, even today. This week, the Torah directs us in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17. You shall not hate your kinsfolk in your heart. Reprove your kinsmen, but incur no guilt because of him. It's a timely verse. There is value and need for rebuke, perhaps firm and unequivocal. Rabbi Yossi ben Hanina said, a love without rebuke is no love. Rach Lakish echoed, rebuke leads to peace. A peace where there has been no rebuke is not a real peace. And Rambam in the Mishnah Torah says, whoever is in a position to prevent wrongdoing through rebuke and does not do so is responsible for the sins of all the wrongdoers whom that person might have restrained. Rebuke leads us to real peace and real love. Rebuke prevents us from bearing the weight and consequence of wrongdoer sins. Thus, we can and should say unequivocally, there is no justification for terrorism. There are no mitigating circumstances. We condemn Hamas, and we accept, expect the same condemnation from our allies. And then the Torah continues. 
In verse 18 it says, Lotikom velotitor et bene amecha veahavta lerecha kamocha ani Adonai. You shall take no vengeance. You shall not bear a grudge against your countrymen. Love your fellow as yourself. I am your God. We are asked to read those verses together. Yes, rebuke. Express your disappointment. Give critical feedback. Point to the wrongs that have been done, but do not take vengeance and do not bear a grudge. Do not take vengeance for how easy must it have been to move quickly from passionate rebuke and moral high ground into retribution or punishment. How easy is it still today? Do not bear a grudge. Perhaps even more destructive than action is holding on to the disgust, the disdain, the resentment that we feel when we are compelled to rebuke. The certainty that the sin has become one with the sinner. There is no separation. Hate them both together. In response to these verses, Rambam writes in another of his commentaries, Sefer HaMitzvot, the sin of hatred in one's heart is the most serious of them all. Worse than acting on the hate by way of vengeance is feeling the hate, the refusal to let go of the hate, the slow deterioration of the soul and the spirit when the fire of hate is kept warm within us. The rabbis teach rebuke is a way to release some of that anger. Rebuke is a vocalization of that which we would normally let fester within. Rebuke offers the chance for recognition and admission of guilt. It creates the opportunity for, for, uh, for apology and forgiveness. It allows for honest, vulnerable conversations in which we may be able to hear and be heard for the first time. Rebuke, the Torah says, but do not take vengeance. Rebuke, but do not hold a grudge. Speak your truth, but do not let hatred destroy you. Do not let it destroy your community. Rebuke, it seems, is an essential practice between neighbors if we hope to build a holy society. It is hard work to build a society with flawed human beings. It's hard to put aside hatred when your neighbor hates you and when you have endless reasons to hate your neighbor. And still the holiness continues, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's right there in line after rebuke and vengeance and grudge. Somewhere in this messy mix is love. Love for ourselves, love for our families, love for the vision of what our society could be, love for God and the abiding faith that God's goodness and righteousness will overcome evil, and love for the other, the one whose name we do not know, but our hearts break nevertheless when we know of their pain. This is the holiness code. It's not a mirror. It's not who we are right now. It's a window asking us to look out and see what we might aspire to be. At times, this week, we are so far from the society described in the Torah. And still we keep these verses close at hand. We read them once a year on this Shabbat. We return to these very words during the Mincha service of Yom Kippur. They are the guiding words as we consider the start of the new year. How do we hope to live? What society do we hope to create? And it doesn't say, when under attack, discard the code. There is no alternative holiness code for when missiles fly and the sirens blare and you run to your child's bedroom that you've outfitted as a bomb shelter. 
And the rabbis, for the record, do like to make exceptions for duress. Rabbi Yehoshua says, one who is traveling in a dangerous place should offer a brief prayer. No need to do the entire Amidah. There is no such exception for the holiness code. It remains through our times of joy and sadness, through times of peace and war. The ancient voice echoes forward, fighting to be heard in the cacophony of modern-day pundits and social media posts. May we permit these holy words to fill our ears, lift our hearts, and direct our hands. May we continue the work of our ancestors, striving to build a holy society, not with angels, but with human beings, searching for holiness in the rubble of destruction and hatred, holding on to our faith that we can build something bold and beautiful together. Shabbat Shalom.